Riley Nelson joins us now on the Sprint special guest line, BYU football radio analyst. Sprint, lease any handset and get an iPad for $99.99. Visit the local Sprint store near you. Riley, good morning. Morning, fellas. So I'm uh, curious now how you think BYU is going to adjust the offense going forward, if at all, with uh, Tyson Williams out, because they were getting some pretty good production out of him, and then all of a sudden he's gone. How does this change things, if it does? Yeah, I, uh, I mean, uh, it's it's anyone's guess what they're scheming and what they're and what they're working up. One thing I I think would be good because Lopini Katoa and Emmanuel Asupa have two very different skill sets. Tyson Williams was definitely their most complete back in that uh, in the screen game, and BYU was not very successful in the screen game. Part of that had to do that screens are, are very difficult unless you run them against man coverage a lot. They're very difficult to execute because. Um, you don't have players dropping back in the coverage. There's always that guy that is a sign of the running back to cause problems. But regardless, Tyson was one who could catch the ball and run the ball um, and was both a power runner and, and a speed runner. Now you've kind of got Lupini Cotella, who's uh, more of the quick, fast, catch the ball to the backfield back. And you've got Emmanuel Asupa, who's more of a kind of linear downhill runner. And so uh, they didn't have – most of their formations were single back to this point in the season, I wouldn't be surprised to see them put more two back so that they can have those those options on the field. And you can also do a lot of creative things if you trust both of those backs to do it. But before, um, I, I don't think we'll know what that looks like for the next couple of weeks because I honestly think that these next couple games between Katoa and Asupa, one of those guys is going to have to, well, both of them are going to have to prove what they can do and how they can contribute to this team before they really lock in a new scheme going forward. So there was so much emphasis in the offseason and during the season as it was happening to play these four games. The Power Five, they had the toughest schedule. No one's playing that many Power Fives to open the season and whatnot. And, you know, somewhat of a mixed bag. But at the same time, the goal, I think, realistically was to get to two. They got that, right? So in a sense... They're, you know, you want more, but at least you're in a decent spot going forward. So now you don't play these power fives the rest of the way, right? So you have this schedule being what it is. How do you make sure that the team doesn't have any form of a letdown because there was such a buildup and now you got Toledo, which obviously is not a premier program on the level of SC in Washington? Yeah. Um, it should be pretty easy, at least from my point of view. When you pop on the tape, when you when you're if you're being self honest with yourself, your rush defense is something that's that's uh, you know you're ranked in the triple you're ranked in the hundreds as far as rush defense, and then you pop on the tape and you're like, holy cow, Toledo runs the ball and they run it well, and not only do they run it well, they run it out of a spread option attack, which we haven't seen. We faced a lot more you know single back quarterback turnaround, hand the ball off type scheme so we've got uh, we've got a significant challenge uh ahead of us and then as an offense you pop on the tape and you're like all right these guys you know they score lots of points and just had a shootout with colorado state so we should be able to break out and you know get into the 30s or 40s of points which is an offense you want to be in every game but byu has won close grinding games and then you know, South Florida is what South Florida is. Uh, that presents its unique challenge. BYU is a program. I know it's not as relevant to this team, but as a program, it's never won in the state of Florida. I think that's it's a decent opportunity with South Florida, but at the same time, you're going to pop on the tape there and see dudes running around that have 
elite quickness and speed. Now they might not be elite football players, but the speed is up there with the rest. And then, and then comes Boise and Utah State, who there's a good chance that both those teams will be ranked at the time that you play them. And, uh, you know, your track record again, a close loss that you feel like you should have had up in Boise last year. So you're seeking revenge there as well as it's always a tough game against Boise. And then Utah State's had your number each of the last two years and absolutely embarrassed you at home last year. So as I look at the next four, you've got potentially two ranked opponents. You've got a Toledo opponent that um, if, if any of them are smart, you know, can bite you and embarrass you if you let off the gas even a little bit. So I think that's how you approach it is it doesn't have the uh, extrinsic factor, factors of being like a P5 or, or this or that, but they're good football teams and their quality wins that uh, if you can get them, help build your resume to being relevant uh, as the season goes on, which is the goal for any program. So against uh, an opponent that might be not quite as big, not quite as fast, even if they're still good, and the fact that Zach Wilson is coming up on now almost a year's full of because he started the second half of last season, he's got four games under his belt here. Do you expect to see him take a step forward? Is the game going to slow down? And all those things we're familiar with hearing. Uh, is he about ready to make a jump? You think, based on the experience and the competition? Yeah, I do. I um, the, here's the biggest thing I'm looking forward, and I'll know that he's taken that step. He's he's always been able to produce the big play. One of the things that I'm that I really want to see, and this is a combination between the game plan going in, the play calling it, and then Zach Wilson's execution, because you could argue that the game plan hasn't really been ultra conducive to to what I'd like to see, and that is a consistent, quick game to intermediate range. You know, a moving the sticks passing game, not just we get to third down and we got to throw it up, or we need a big play so we got to try and push the ball down the field. Or game. So whether it's mixing in play action or whether it's short to intermediate routes, being highly efficient in that, throwing a lot on first down, putting yourself in favorable second down, you know, second down in short positions, or getting ahead of the sticks and getting majority of your first downs. You know, one of the things I was so impressed with Washington, there was a point in the game, they had 25 first downs, uh, but only six third down conversions, which means they were absolutely lead on first and second down, and I think that should be a goal for BYU and for Zach Wilson. But in order to do that, you need to be deadly throwing the ball on, on first and second down. And so as they uh, put more trust in Zach, he, you know, I, what I'd love to see is him rise to that occasion, reward the coaches for that trust they put in him, and be a highly executing quarterback on first and second down in the short to mid-range pass game. If he can do that over these next couple weeks, then, yeah, I think it's safe to say he's taken a step forward. He's on the right track of progression that all of us hope to see from him. And, you know, he's he's becoming the player that everyone has kind of put their hopes in to be the next great one at BYU. So you look at the first four games, and it looks like Utah and Washington were the two toughest opponents, and that's where they had the turnovers for BYU's offense. How much does the level of competition correspond to the amount of turnovers? Yeah, I think it I, it corresponds a lot, and but not so much. Well, it, it's it's a mixed bag, right? It, at least as I'll evaluate BYU's turnovers. Uh, as much as the Utah and Washington defenses were opportunistic in, in creating and capitalizing on uh, you know fumbles put on the ground or, or errant throws, uh, I feel like it was more. B- as I watched this BYU team, they had a 
there was a pressure to do more, to do extra, right? Like, let's just take the two uh, against the Washington uh, against Washington last week. That the sack fumble that was returned for a touchdown, Zach Wilson. That was all-out blitz. That was cover zero. There was no safety help. They were showing at the snap that they were going to bring all-out blitz. And whether they do or not, because oftentimes they'll give that look and then they'll bail out, whether they do or not as a quarterback, you got to know, all right, this ball's I'm catching this shotgun snap and the ball's coming out of my hand right now. And if I can't, if I don't have a clean look to release the ball now, i got to protect the ball. Try and maybe find a seam to get something with my feet or get down and protect it. Instead, Zach, you know, hitched a couple times, was hanging on, waiting for his receiver because they were in press man coverage, waiting for his receiver to create some kind of separation uh, against tough man coverage and gets and gets strip sacked. Um, so that, to me, was a time where a mental decision led to a physical decision. And then that fumble in the first drive of the second half, they really took the wind out of out of BYU sales, was one where they it was a third and seven. Uh, Dax Milne completes it. He catches the pass. He's got the third down converted. He's up against the sideline. And instead of going out of bounds and, and moving the sticks and living to play another day, the safety's got an angle on him. He tries to cut back against the guy against the sideline. And as he does, uh, the safety puts his helmet on the ball, pops it out, and they turn it over. And, you know, the route was on from there. So two instances of guys just trying to do more than you need to do. I don't think you feel the pressure to need to hold on to the ball the last second or to try and cut back for a few extra yards against uh, against an opponent that you feel evenly matched or that you have the athletic advantage against. That only happens when there's – when it, it's either the mystique of a P5 or the fact that they're ranked or the fact that you just get out on the field and you're like, man, these guys are bigger, faster, stronger than we are, and you feel that added pressure. And it's natural to feel that pressure, but the reality is if you can somehow shake that off and play as if they're a normal opponent, you actually give yourself a better chance for success uh, because you, you're going to eliminate more of those mental mistakes. So the trade-off of playing against uh, eliminating mental mistakes and everything you just lay out versus not having the adrenaline rush of walking into Tennessee and there's 100,000 people there and it's a game of emotions, so they really bring it. What's going to lead to a better BYU performance? Because it, it feels like they really rode the adrenaline in the two games they won. Yeah, DJ, you, that's a, that has been one of my bigger worries. Um, aside from the, the tempoed spread option run attack that Toledo runs, the smallest crowd that this BYU team has played against so far this season is 62,000, right? And the biggest was 94 against Tennessee. Uh, I don't know how many Toledo will show up at Toledo, but it's probably going to be somewhere around 30,000, give or take five, like on a, on a good day. That's assuming a lot of BYU fans show up, I think. Um, and that is a different feel. <laughs> I remember I had a couple of games – um, one I remember was in good old Las Cruces down at New Mexico State. Uh, another one was at San Jose, San Jose State throughout my career where I got out for the first snap and my normal yell for the cadence actually echoed back on me <laughs> from the emptiness of the stands. And that's a, it's kind of a disheartening feeling because you feel like you're big time. It's college football and it's all those things and it can, it, it really does release, release that, that adrenaline, that ampness that you have. Uh, going into a game and it's an adjustment that you better make quickly because if you lower I can tell you for sure Toledo and all and and the rest of you know at least these next four opponents they're all good enough that if BYU doesn't bring it if they don't manufacture that own energy that maybe they're not getting from a big stadium or a nationally televised 
type environment, uh, they're going to get they're going to get snake bit, and that's something they better account for. So you're a local guy. What do you think of the Utes and Cougars having a two year sabbatical again here in a few years? I'm okay with it. I get it. I I think uh, absence makes the heart grow fonder, so to speak. So that I totally get. Utah has an opportunity to get a home and home with Florida, and uh, Florida never crosses the Mississippi. Maybe to go to Texas, right? But they never cross the Mississippi um, for a non-conference game if it's not Texas. And so to get a chance for them to come to Salt Lake City, I think uh, I can – as, as a BYU fan who would love to see that rivalry, and I, I know there are many who would like to see that rivalry play every year. Uh, the two-year hiatus doesn't bother me. I, I wouldn't ever like to see it more extended than two years, and if we are going to have to take a two-year break, I would like to see them follow it up with a significant series of game, which what was just announced. So uh, I would hope they can find a way to work it out to play every year, but in this instance, uh, I get it. And with the changing landscape of college football, uh, it I think it's going to have to, at least as the landscape of college football exists today, I think it's going to happen, have to happen every so often. Um, but for me, kind of the right pacing, if it can happen once every, you know, decade to 15 years, that's probably the, that's probably the closest or that's probably the right cadence for me. So in the release where the uh, teams confirmed these scheduling changes, there was a quote from Tom Holmo that said, uh, and I'm paraphrasing here, but something the effect of, hey, they, they recognize there might be a time when we need to request something like this uh, because of our schedule. And I think every BYU fan who read that and thought about it thought, Notre Dame, have you heard anything? You're walking around the press box. Sometimes you know more than you let on, Riley. What do you know? Yeah, um, good question. You know, Tom is in the level above us in the, in the box, so I don't, get, I don't get to hear much of what's echoing off of off of him, I, I would say this though, uh, as a proponent of the rivalry and one who thinks it, sh- it should be played every year, unless in extremely rare circumstances. In a se- in essence, uh, in a for, for BYU schedule, they have 12 open weeks, right? Utah, because of their commitment to their conference, they really have three weeks to play around with. BYU has 12, so my hope would be that even if they were able to convince Notre Dame to come, which, by the way, I my confidence level in that is like very, is single digits. It's very low um, because I think Notre Dame's just kicking the can down the road till we finally relent and take a pay, take a payout. Um, but even if Notre Dame does agree to come to Provo, there you got eleven other weeks on the schedule where you can find or hopefully work something out to play Utah. PK's got a theory on that. Vegas, baby. There's a new stadium there that might, you know, hey, let's move the game from Provo to Vegas. Would you be okay with that? <laughs> I would be okay with that. And Raiders State, that's, isn't that for the two most uh, high-profile football programs at religious-owned schools, Las Vegas could not be a better place to debut, you know, some kind of neutral site season oh, opening yeah, I game. see what you did that. I, I like that, yeah. That's a good thinking. Yeah, just, that plays right into your line of thinking, PK. Yeah, sure. exactly, man. Welcome to Sin City. It's I mean, Notre Dame I mean, and BYU. There's, there's, there's good and bad in everything. So that that right there, that sums it up perfectly. The good and bad. Two God fearing schools going to Vegas. That's perfect. In the devil's playground. That's yeah. right. You couldn't think of more. The, the juxtaposition, the contrast, the storyline, the storylines abound. 
Right. I mean, come on. We both know, Riley, God didn't come for the whole. He came for the sick. Vegas is the sick. <laughs> That's right. Get the missionaries out in full force. Get on the corners. Get in the, you know, the casino entrances and invite everybody to come and partake of the of the good word as they watch a football game, right? And yeah. that, that, you're really you're mixing old school classic religion with America's religion, which is football. Yeah, I mean, it's, it makes too much sense now. Everybody's welcome yep. if you have one hundred and fifty dollars per ticket. <laughs> yeah, that's right. To get just to get in, exactly. and if you want any lower than that, hopefully you had some good luck at the craps tables. Riley Nelson, BYU football radio analyst, joins us every week. Riley, thanks a lot. Thanks for having me, fellas.